1: You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game.
0: This is the Power Producers Podcast, production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power?
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. And today we have got Ms. Ashley Napier with us from 3000 insurance group in Oklahoma and we're going to talk about her. She's the guest. <laughs> I mean, we talk we could talk about ourselves all we want. You guys don't really care about that. No. <laughs> we were talking about the Tampa Bay Lightning and the fact mm. that they need to step it up tonight or we're in trouble.
2: That's a fact. Need to get it together.
1: They do. It's going to be much harder for me to have a great time in Key West if they get pounded oh, again God. tonight. I know. <laughs> Dude, they lost by a touchdown.
2: I turned it off and started watching Peaky Blinders.
1: Ooh, I don't know what's worse TV.
2: (laughs) You don't know Peaky Blinders?
1: I know that you recommended it, and I made it like 30 minutes through the first episode before I shut it off.
2: Whatever, dude. That's terrible on your part.
1: Everybody (laughs) tells me to give it three episodes. I just don't know that I have three hours of my time for Peaky Blinders. Sorry. Can't help you. Yeah, we're not we're not even going to give them give them the, any any time or attention on Power Producers podcast. Instead, we're going to focus on Ms. Ashley Napier. Ashley, what's up?
3: Hey, good morning. Good to see you too.
1: Good to see you. That is a really cool piece of art.
2: Oh, is thank background. you. Uh,
1: no, no that appears to
2: be a tree. Why well, know, But I didn't know if it was like it, it from from. It looked like fish like swimming you're up and down.
1: It's a virtual Rorschach inkblot test, Kyle. It is whatever it speaks <laughs> into your own heart and mind.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm just assessing a whole bunch about you. if You're thinking it's a fish.
2: <laughs> yeah, well.
1: <laughs> we are going, well, some of us are going a, offshore. It had a long day weekend. yesterday.
2: I'll just leave it at that.
1: So, Ashley, before we get ramped up as far as what's going on in your agency, why don't you give us the, I don't know, 3,000-foot overview of... Oh, wow like where you're at and where you came from to sort of establish that, then we're going to just start peppering you with questions.
3: Let's have it. Okay. So I am from Oklahoma city. I uh, spent probably eight years in healthcare before I switched over to insurance. People ask me how I got started in insurance and I'll just tell them somebody talked me into it. (laughs) I think that's probably how a lot of us do it either. We go and uh, it was our parents agency or somebody that we are connected to they own it you get into it but i was talked into it so when i left healthcare i knew that i didn't want to do healthcare and i thought i didn't want to do insurance and here i am doing <laughs> doing insurance <laughs> um i am the chief operating officer of our agency we are over 20 people we're benefits, commercial, personalized. We do all of it. Most of our producers are generalists and we insure five professional associations and then the referrals that come along with it.
1: Cool. So yeah. So how did you get into ops? And I'm also, by the way, I I think it would have been really ironic if you told me you were selling healthcare insurance, but... um...
3: Actually, that's the reason that this is, this makes the story better. Uh, The reason that I didn't want to do insurance is one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of them was life insurance. Um, I thought that you had to sell life insurance to your friends and family. and That was it. I didn't have that many friends and family, but the reason that I got out of health insurance is because I got tired of health insurance, dictating patient care, just went all over me. And now I sell health insurance, come full circle. Um, so how, how about, did I get into good? Okay. So how did I get into operations? Um, I had been a producer for a number of years. Let's see. So I started in 2016 in insurance, like commercial insurance, and then 2017 I came over to this agency, and I was a producer until 2020. I did really well. It wasn't that I wasn't succeeding. It was just I wanted more. And so I thought a leadership position would be great. Uh, so I applied for the job and got it and have really liked operations ever since. I still produce, but I probably spend more time in operations and just people. Really, I'm just spending more time with people.
1: What does the day look like? like what does your average day look like when you
2: come in?
3: I don't... <laughs> That, I that I was think...
2: a giant mason jar. That thing was like at least a two-liter mason jar. <laughs> I
3: was
1: going to say, Super what are you doing? Thirsty. Whipping out your jar of
2: shine on the old podcast? <laughs> <laughs> uh.
3: It's just straight vodka. No, it's just water. <laughs> I forgot my water bottle at home, and I'm a real thirsty gal. <laughs> my um, average day. So my average day, gosh, it looks different. So I try to spend some time just catching up with clients, helping them place some insurance. And then I'll spend quite probably, I don't know, 70% of my time in some sort of coaching capacity, coaching, talking with employees, um, talking really with clients too. But for the most part, I'm I'm mostly employee facing. And I'm, I'm training, I'm creating, I'm helping them create processes. I'm holding them accountable to tasks. It's, It's, I would like to say that every day is the same, but you guys know that it's not. Every day is absolutely (laughs) different. That's a really fun part about insurance is one day we could be training on how to write professional liability and the next day we're handling a property claim.
2: Mm -hmm. What's your favorite aspect of the coaching?
3: Oh gosh. So I have a structure that I follow in coaching and I am able to really sit with people and understand the things that are troubling them, the, the tasks or processes that are getting in their way. But more so than that, I'm able to just like learn about them and their personalities and their behaviors and, and uh, dig into the thing that makes them them. I want to know if they're happy here. I want to know if they're sad. I want to know if they like it, if they like their job, if they like us, if they like their clients, how their clients are treating them. It's just, it's getting to know them and getting ingrained in, in the agency and building a relationship with each one of them.
1: How'd you land at the agency that you're at?
3: I, okay, so I was at a different agency and I thought I wanted to sell to small commercial healthcare only while I was targeting dentists at the time, dentists and optometrists. And the guy that I work for, um, okay. So I was targeting dentists and optometrists and I bought a booth at an Oklahoma dental association conference. And I thought I'm going to go and I'm going to share all the dentists, all the dentists around me. And so I bought a booth and then there was another insurance agency there. And it happens to be the one I work at. Well, the guy that owns it came over and he was like, why are you trying to compete against us? Won't you just come join us? And I said, forget about it. I'll never come join you. And he's like, okay, we'll see. <laughs> so he ended up talking me into it just because what they did, the kind of insurance that they wrote was where I wanted to be. So I was looking for a fit. As far as like insurance goes, I was also looking for a cultural alignment.
1: So what were they doing that was different than where you were?
3: So I was only able to focus on health insurance. Okay, so... Commercial insurance for small healthcare providers. Like if I got a referral for a apartment complex, I was supposed to turn that over to somebody else. If I got a referral for home and auto for a physician, I was supposed to turn that over to someone else. And at that time I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just didn't want to be pigeonholed. And I felt very much pigeonholed into figuring out what I wanted to do. What's really interesting is that.
2: Sorry. Sorry. I was, I was just, just gonna was- say, yeah, I was gonna say it's impossible to learn other things if you're just like pigeonholed into one specific sector, like you're saying. I mean, to me, I'd, I'd want to learn yeah, as much I, I, as I, would, I could. I would say, about unless
1: it. you're hired specifically for that sector, right? Knowing up front, hey, we have a, a program or we have a, a vertical market in ABC. And we want you to come in and produce for that. And that's all that's ever represented to you, through the entire process. Different story. Whole different animal. And and I say that because that's one of the directions I see us going in the future, instead of bringing people in and having them spend a couple of years trying to figure out where they want to go. Not that there's anything at all wrong with that. I mean, God knows every single one of us have done that so far, but... Mm -hmm. I want to test the waters a little bit and find out that if we bring if we bring in producers and they know what they're going to what their vertical is going to be before they ever come in because it's something that they're attracted to, they're passionate about, that they know something about how much more successful are we going to be with that as opposed right. to the way that we've always done it which is kind of bring people in, give them an opportunity to figure out and then put them where we think they, you know, are going to be the best fit. I don't know. We'll see if it's the if it's a better option or not. Who knows?
3: What mm-hmm. I think that you can, I think that you can do one or two things. You can bring them in, and they can say this is exactly. You can say this is exactly where I want to put them. So I just brought in a new guy, and I thought, man, he'd be really great at cyber. But there are some other people that they really need a minute to figure it out. So, like for me, I thought I wanted to insure dentists and optometrists, and I quickly learned that I don't want dentists and optometrists. I want attorneys, and I want their referrals.
1: (laughs) Dentists, I can't speak for
2: optometrists. Dentists are the worst.
1: They are (laughs) the worst. They're terrible. (laughs) What about dentists? I'm just interested, like what your experience is like, because I feel like every dentist that I have worked with in a professional capacity to insure them, it's like been cookie cutter. They've all been almost identical in terms of what it was like to deal with them. And I'll, I'll happily hmm. share my experiences, but I was interested in what you ran into that led you to believe, yeah, maybe this isn't exactly what I thought I was getting into.
3: I think it just, I mean, it was cookie cutter. That's one of the things that I wasn't excited about, but it, okay. So what I find with dentists is that there are cookie cutter, but there are some that are out there doing some interesting things that they're worth tacking along beside but, um, the things that I, the reason that I didn't like dentists is probably because it was, it wasn't as much challenging as I needed it to be. And I was comfortable with healthcare. I told you, I came from healthcare. I ran a small eye care office. It was multi-site, couple doctors. And I knew it. I knew that they intermingled their stuff. I knew that they <laughs> would pay for their dog food <laughs> with their business expense. I knew that they... They registered their personal vehicle and their LLC. Hmm. And I knew that like their just stuff was everywhere, but it wasn't challenging enough. It wasn't until I got to the attorneys and they're buying businesses and property. And I mean like one day they could be buying horses and the next day they're buying a four and a half million dollar building. Then they're getting into CrossFit and then they buy a house in, in, I know, another state I wonder why it's that like is they're, they're like is it because they the
2: have place? so many different clients most of them that they just like start getting influenced by them and like hmm, you know what horses sound fun like <laughs> yeah
3: I, <laughs> I think it was just an opportunity they just capitalized on an opportunity and the best yeah, part about right. insuring them was they know how to read a contract it's like i don't they if they if they're uncomfortable with how the insurance reads then then they'll read the contract and figure out if they like it or not.
1: Yeah. My experience with dentists is they're cheap. Like that's, that's what my experience has been. They, they want to ask you a, a million and one questions about every single line of coverage so that you explain every sub limit. Like it, it, it's literally like I wrote three of them cause I was too dumb not to write anymore after the first one, but it didn't take me more than three <laughs> to figure it out. And it's like, everything goes on a bop you know, I don't know. It's just, it's not what we write in our agency. It was very difficult to differentiate anything that we do. There is no value proposition. They're not interested in the value proposition. And I I think to myself, I'm like, my goodness, how much do you make an hour that you have all the time and energy to sit down and listen to me explain insurance to you for crying out loud? Like Mm -hmm. at what point? And, And I think to myself, I'm like, is this something that's Indicative of what they do every day? Like, does every patient that goes into the dentist chair say, Now I need you to walk me through every single step of the procedure (laughs) that you're about to do do to me, including how you're going to take the x rays? How I'm, I mean, it's just absolutely ludicrous, right? If somebody went in and and, and asked a dentist a million questions about what they were going to do, at some point, like any other doctor, they're going to say, Look, dude. I went to medical school to do what I do. You either trust me or you don't. And if right. you don't trust me, I'm not the person for you. You have to trust that I have your best interest in mind. That's how I've built my practice. And honestly, that's kind of how I feel, man. That I mean, the next dentist that calls me, I'm just going to say, look, here's where we're at. This is how we do business, blah, 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 blah. If it's of interest to you, that's great. If you want me to go quote a dozen different markets to come back and tell you who's going to save you 50 bucks a year... I'm not your guy. And they, that's literally what my experience has been. And my goodness, one of my three dentists had a claim, a claim for something that wasn't covered, which we told them up front it wouldn't be covered. And they didn't want to buy the coverage they needed. And then that was the whole process, going back and reminding mm-hmm. them. I don't know. Just not my cup of tea, man. There's peop- There's too yeah, many people out there that take us at face value and trust that we know what we're doing. Right. And it just seems dentists are overly cautious. <laughs> And I'm just one of these people, man, that if you like ask me too many questions, I get offended by it because I feel like I do a good job of yeah. explaining things and I do a good job of demonstrating that I'm a professional who knows what they're doing. Come on, and dentist. And it's honestly yeah, it's honestly kind of offensive. So
2: I haven't um run into any dentists like, you know, here at Florida Risk, but I definitely when I was selling office supplies, I would I would walk up into many a dentist's office and it is kind of, it, it was kind of the same way. I noticed that a lot of them use like the, the refillable ink and toner and you couldn't really like argue with them about how that was going to be bad for their machine. It was just like the, they won the lowest cost and they were wondering what, what the weight on the paper was. So it's interesting that you bring that up because I I found some of those similarities back with that too.
3: Okay. Well, I'd like for people to hear that dentists aren't worth it, but because then that, that uh, (laughs) reduces our competition. But really like we've got, we've got programs, we've got processes. I mean, they just kind of go through our process. They're really easy to ensure, you know, what you're doing. Not that you guys don't know. Please don't, please don't hear that. It's like we've been doing it since the 70s. We kind of haven't figured out well, you know, I what think, we're We just like, get it, them through and push them along. And that's part of like ensuring. I think part of it too, though, su- is groups of people
1: down here, they tend to buy the professional through their associations. <laughs> so when we're talking about it, there's no real meat to anything. I mean, you're looking at five or $6,000 in premium. For a BOP to cover their facility, you know, the medical equipment, which depending on what it is, may or may not be covered under Inland Marine, as opposed to, um, you know, the BOP or whatever. But it's just, it's not for us, period. If it's for you, or not you per se, but for you, the listener, go get as many dentists as you absolutely want. I'm leaving all of the dentists in Florida
3: (laughs) on the table for you. I... uh... One of the things that we do, and I think we're a little bit different, as I said, that our producers are generalists. And so while we are getting the bops and we're getting the professional, we're getting the work comp, we're getting the inland, we're getting the cyber, we're also getting the health insurance, the disability, the life insurance. And so the really neat part is that it makes them a stickier client and it makes us be able to write the insurance better.
1: So operations versus production, two very different skill sets. Not that you can't have both but it's difficult to do both simultaneously. Which one do you prefer?
3: Right now I prefer operations. I took, during during COVID, I took 18 months and finished a graduate degree and learned leadership. And it's where I always knew I wanted to go when I was working for the Men Healthcare. It's like, I led and ran an organization, helped. I didn't do it all by myself, but ran an organization and and I knew that I wanted to get here eventually so I didn't my plan wasn't to stay in sales not that that's not a fantastic career but my plan was to get into a leadership or similar role if I wasn't then I was looking towards coaching like executive coaching
2: what's the most challenging aspect of leadership for you
3: (laughs) Uh, lately, I I can answer this based off of lately. Lately is is just figuring out where people fit and how they fit and their best and highest use, and just being strategic about like hiring, placing, reviewing, coaching, mentoring people. And it's just like people just add this like unexpected element mm-hmm. that that. I don't care how much school any of us get, we'll never be able to figure people out just because they're so
2: complex. Well, I think it's funny too, because when you're interviewing someone, you're always getting like the best version of them, or at least what they think the best version of themselves to be. Because my wife interviews people all day long and she hires some of these people. And then a few weeks down the road or a month or two or whatever it is, it's like, oh God, I cannot believe I didn't see that red flag or... You know, this person's not really fitting with our culture, but sometimes it's hard to pick that out on on an interview.
3: Mm-hmm. When I first started doing interviews, I wanted to throw people off. So if I thought <laughs> that they got easily just, agitated, I try to agitate
2: what them. What'd you do? Like just ask walk, them walk in, in like equation? a gorilla suit or something? Like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <what>?
1: <laughs> that would be awesome. Just walk in, walk in in a gorilla suit and ask them just to really regurgitate. <laughs> yeah.
3: Tell, yeah, that's what I have interns. For. Tell me
1: the quadratic equation. You <laughs> regurgitated immediately. <laughs> Complete the square. More ping pong balls.
3: <laughs> yeah. How many ping pong balls uh... can you fit into the cab of a seven forty seven?
1: Yeah, that's funny. No,
3: I mean, like it. It just depends on the person or the personality. So if somebody was like, I don't rattle easy, and I don't, I don't care how much stuff you throw at me, and I would just like rapid fire question. Hmm. or, um, I don't like to be put on the spot. Well, I'm gonna put you on the spot. I'm gonna ask you to do Mm -hmm. something or I'm really organized. All right. Take me through what, what an entire week would look like. Like I would try to, I was really, I was really kind of terrible in the beginning, just because I was trying to prove that they were the thing that they said they weren't. And I kind of relaxed. Didn't kind of, I I definitely relaxed. (laughs) And Was that people. tactic
2: something you learned when you went to school for leadership, or is it something that you just kind of, you know, tried <laughs> tried one day?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think I learned the opposite <laughs> in my grad program. <laughs> and then they were like, calm down, <laughs> Ashley. Like you don't have to you don't have to like get everybody's secrets out of them at one time.
1: Well, the other thing too though is like Kyle said, you're always going to get the best version or at least the most planned or prepared yeah, version right. of somebody. That's that's honestly why I like bringing in interns as much as we possibly can from college. Number one, new blood to the industry. But more importantly, you know, I don't... Look, people, we don't need to have a moral debate over this. I'm simply going to make an analogy here. So what I'm going to say is not necessarily my personal belief, but I think a lot of times... When you interview somebody and hire them, you're not really like you don't really know that person until you've hired them. It's like not living with somebody before you get married to them, and then all of a sudden Oof. you've made this commitment and signed on for the rest of your life. And it's like, holy crap, we're two this, weeks in, and this, and this is chick not what know I thought to I was. A dishwasher.
2: Yeah, this is I. no well, easy wife.
1: there. Yeah, easy there, <laughs> but no, no. I mean. It's just all the habits, all the little quirks and idiosyncrasies. And look, I love my wife. I'm happily married and have been and will continue to be for the rest of my life. That being said, there are things you find out that you didn't realize, right? And I think that's the same phenomenon when you you bring people in. And I think agencies, by and large, many times... I don't know that anybody that I know of anybody outside of Billy Wagner... Who has the hiring process dialed in to like a quantifiable, easily rec- replicable process? Every single time, every applicant goes through the same twenty-one steps or whatever number it is that Billy has. But I think that agencies, by and large, except for Ashley and Operations, Ashley has that dialed in. I'm certain. Mm-hmm. But you know, from my perspective, agencies are either too quick or too slow in the hiring process. The ones that are too quick. You know they 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 make that mistake, and their whole thing is, I'd rather just churn through them as quick as I can, and I'm eventually going to find the right people, and they're going to stick around, but it's going to be a constant process of always interviewing and always giving people opportunity. And then there's people who take way too long and they lose really good candidates because they just can't make the decision. They can't pull the trigger. And I think that's part of it. I think one of the you know some of the stuff that that I've been able to do over the course of my career and how I go about it, has helped the curve in terms of identifying candidates and things like that and the other thing is also being willing to look outside of the insurance industry for that right like i don't have my hiring process is not going to be based on what producers are currently available on the street and i said what i always say I, when i was in um, when i was in st louis last week and said, hey, I don't want retreads. I don't want other people's bad habits from the insurance industry. So I choose to hire my salespeople from outside the industry. And the dude called me out on it. He says, Well, I got hired from the insurance industry to go to another agency and I'm killing it where I'm at. I'm like, Good okay, well. That's great. Let's talk about what it is that you do. Well, then we find out he sells personal lines. Okay. Well, I don't go out hiring anybody to sell personal lines in my agency. So that already removes that from discussion. And then the second comment was that he came from a captive where all he ever did was crush personal lines. Well, I would expect you to succeed when you have options, when you get to the independent channel, right? And so... You know, just because it's how it works for me or what my opinion is doesn't mean that that's the way it is for everybody else or that it'll work in every single agency. That's just the way I feel. And I think agencies, by and large, the overwhelming majority are too quick or too slow to hire. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that?
3: So I think that you're right. I think that they don't have... I'm big into processes. Uh, I'm a huge Billy Wagner fan. Um, But... So when I take them through the process, I'm looking for character. So you asked me, I think you asked me earlier, like, how do I know? Well, I'm looking at character and character to me is not like, are they moral? Are they ethical? It's like, do they have the skills necessary to meet the demands of reality? And that is like, I am okay being in a team. I'm okay asking for help. I know I need people. I'm not going to take on the emotional problems. Any sort of issues of somebody else, I'm separated from them. I can hold good and bad together, and I'm not above anybody or below them. And so I'm asking questions that will help me see any of those any of those deficits. And then I'm able to say, okay, this person is likely a perfectionist. If I'm going to put them in a role, it's going to be in a role that really has got high standards, which any of our roles are. Or I'm going to this person is saying that they are their personality says that they're an amiable and they're really easy to deal with. But I also see that like they're less than they feel less than others. And so I know that I'm going to have to have quite a bit of coaching. And so I'm making decisions on hiring based off of character after I've gone through all of the other stuff. But and stuff by like, like, can they type out an email? what does their personality assessment say what is their problem solving skills can they read a policy and then put it back over into an accord if they i'm also with you david like we don't have to hire in the insurance industry i can i'm happy to hire outside of it because i can train right i'd rather have the personality and the behavior and the character that we're looking for in order to that, that's going to help us get to where we want to go I can train those other skills. I learned insurance. If you're smart enough, you can learn anything. Mm-hmm. You just have to have a character in order to meet the demands of the job.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think to me, you know, hire for personality and moral code trained for skills is kind of where I come from. Um, you know, we don't even have to have we don't have to have the same religious beliefs or anything like that. I get it. But I just need to understand that people have a moral compass as to what's right <laughs> yeah. and what's You're wrong, like generally
2: one. a good person.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's it. And also, you know, do you have a good personality? Is your personality going to mesh with the team? Because the people we that's have true. on our team are all completely different. You know, Kyle and I are probably the most similar of anybody. Um, mm-hmm. And even he and I are different in so many so many ways. But you know I read that in the book Nuts that was written by Herb Kelleher the CEO of Southwest Airlines on how they built their culture into what it I don't necessarily want to say what it is today but what it was at the time of the book which was back in the late 90s early 2000s and that's what they said you know hire for personality train for skills it's not that difficult I mean there are things you need to know about insurance you can learn about that, right? You go get your licensing, you learn certain amounts of information there. You go get a designation, you learn more information. You know, in our agency, and at this point, with tools like Total CSR out there that we can just run people through
2: mm-hmm.
1: from beginning to end to teach them those different roles internally, even though it may not be the exact way that we do things in our agency, it's still. You know, the way it gives you the foundation, right? There's no insurance course that I've been to, regardless of what it is. It could be policy language, operations, you know, certified risk managers designation, any of that. That stuff is all foundational. What you do to tweak and make it your own is what makes each individual unique and allows them to be successful. I mean, there are rules we have to play by, but those rules are. Not the be-all, end-all, right? There's a lot you can do inside those rules to differentiate yourself, and that's all I'm looking for—is the people that are creative enough to do that with the right personality and and the right moral compass. Period. End of story. Now, if you can find those people growing on trees, please let me know.
3: (laughs) Oh yeah, they're in Oklahoma. This tree, this is
1: the tree. That's the tree. The fish (laughs) tree. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. So, what what is the story behind (laughs) that? By the way, is there a story behind that piece of artwork?
3: Yeah. So there is a local artist. His name is Tim Kinney. He uh, does these charity events and I saw him at a charity event. It was a fundraiser and thought, Oh my gosh, I have to have this. Well, I sold a big policy. And so I went out and I treated myself to a custom made sign or not sign a painting, a piece of art from him.
2: Cool. What's um, cool. What's been the biggest challenge in balancing between the producing and the operations side of things?
3: it's two different skill sets like it's literally switching gears in your brain right. um it, that's that's it it's just the the switching now i don't multitask i think multitasking is a myth it's multi switching and if i can do it faster then i'm speed uh, that i'm doing i'm i'm able to get more done but it's just it's it's switching back and forth but but at the same time like producing is also talking to clients and and operations is talking to employees and I'm figuring out like what's going on in their world in their world that is causing them grief or happiness or trouble or anything and and that is the like the thing that unifies my job is people the people aspect of it is is the thing that like okay well this makes sense I can I can, this is a translatable skill to me.
2: I would also say too, that there are similarities. I mean, coaching your people on your team, like we, we have to coach, um, you know, prospects and clients too. Like if we're not educating them, you know, the good producers do that. And so I I think that that's a similarity there that you can kind of, like you said, switch, you know, back and forth with, um, you know, as it relates to the coaching.
3: Yeah. So whenever I, whenever I talk to a client or I talk to an employee, it's, Hey, anything going on since the last time I talked to you? It's what's going, you know, like any emergencies. Okay. Well, what do we need to work on today? And then it's, what do we need to work on after we leave here? Those are, that's, I can use that, that actual framework with an employee or a client or my, or my kids or My friends. I mean, I can. This is just a skill that I can use anywhere. It's a it's a framework that I can use anywhere.
1: So let me ask you this. I mean, how long have you been in officially in the insurance industry? How long have you been out of healthcare at this point?
3: Um, out of healthcare since 2014. So I took two years off to get my undergrad, finish my undergrad, and then I came out and did insurance in 2016. So I've been in insurance since 2016.
1: Okay. And during that time, what would you say you've learned that you would give as advice to, I don't even know that it needs to be limited to females coming into into the industry, but what, what would your advice be to anybody who's new in the industry? And then if you want to take that a step further and dial down into what advice you would give to females coming into the insurance industry, because... You know i'm of the mindset that we're male pale and stale in the industry and we could certainly use more diversity um i have actually over the course of the last probably six months traveled to a number of conferences and have been pleasantly surprised by the number of female attendees versus where it's been in the past. I think that nice. the more that we talk about it, the more that we push it, the more that we're, you know, opening people up to to leave their comfort zone a little bit and and just sort of stick their toe in the water. I don't know how much of that has to do with COVID and the fact we we didn't have in-person conferences for so long and that people are just finally like screw it, I don't care. I want to go out there and and get involved and be around other people and and see my friends or whatever, but um, it's been an interesting deal, so roll with that for a minute. Advice that you would give anybody new to the industry, and then specific advice to any females that are whether they're new in the industry or not, because I can't give females advice. I've not encountered the same challenges that they encounter. I've not encountered the same bias, albeit I can recognize that stuff, and I can do my best to bring light to it. I just not never been there done that. I can't say that I understand you know, I can try, but I can't say with unequivocal certainty that I understand what it's like because I don't.
3: Yeah. Okay. So my advice would be get a mentor. That's, That's probably the best advice I can give anybody new in the insurance industry is get a mentor, get one for insurance, get one for personal growth, get one for professional growth, get a mentor learn from the best, learn how to be better. Don't waste time, like blaming your circumstances and yelling at the fruit of, you know, like a poor fruit, like get a mentor, be better, learn from their mistakes, learn from their, their wins. And then I don't know if my advice for women in the insurance industry is any different. I mean, it's learn, learn from people. I never had anybody tell me that this would be more challenging because I was a woman. <laughs> I think that's silly? Like, well, you're going to face more hurdles because you're a female. Oh, that's crap. Like, maybe, maybe, maybe. I do not want to diminish anything that any female or minority group has, has ever experienced. That's just not my experience. My experience has been... Like, I am going to do the absolute best that I can with a skill set that I've been given, and I'm going to ask for things that other people may not be asking for. I'm going to show up to the table that other people may not be showing up to and and I feel awkward and I feel silly, and I feel like I don't know what I'm doing, but just do the things until you you are experiencing more and you're learning more and you're growing. I don't, I don't know. I wish that I, I wish that I could sit here and say like females, here's the path that you have to take. I definitely am for females, but I'm, I'm seeing a change in the younger generation. That's more tender and caring. And like they want more connection that I've seen in my generation and the generations older than me. And I I don't really know where I'm going with that, but I just know that like things are changing. In well, maybe the advice that I'd give to females is like put those nurturing skills on. You know, I I hate to say that just to females because there are men too that are also very nurturing, but like use those nurturing skills because they will get you into places that you may not have otherwise gotten into. Like, for example, I can sit and I can listen to a client and they can get upset about their insurance policy or get upset that their coverage didn't like a coverage didn't exist. And I can sit there and I can be empathetic and sympathetic and I can listen. And I can also do that in an executive meeting with my peers. Of Like, these are the challenges that we're going, you know, like these are the challenges, the leadership body we're going through. We're going through. It's tough to hire. It's, it's tough to let go. It's tough to coach. And I can be empathetic, and I can be sympathetic, and I can use those. And I'm not saying men don't possess those things; just women probably utilize them more frequently than men do. We're more comfortable with it, I think. So maybe use those things. Change my tune. I have nothing, but I do use your use your your empathy. Here's
1: here's my thought process, and I realize I'm going down a slippery slope by saying this. So I'm going to do my best to articulate what I mean and the heart behind it, but I, I think your advice lies in your approach and the fact that you didn't have specific advice. And what I mean by that is you're not allowing a problem that exists to get in your way. And in fact, you don't even recognize what many women focus on is being an issue, right? Um, I'm not saying that it doesn't exist. I'm just simply saying that, it's interesting to hear hear how you approach it because your approach is get on with business what problem you know I've never you and you personally have never run into it so do these things and it's not even female specific it's do these things regardless of gender right so I think the fact that that how you deal with just going to work and you know packing your lunch and getting to work every day is sage advice. You know, I think sometimes, and again, I don't want this to be taken the wrong way, but we have people that do nothing except highlight the problem, right? Mm -hmm. That's all they want to do is highlight a problem. You know, men are pigs. They're chauvinist. They're very condescending to women in the industry, blah, 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 blah. And that's all you ever hear about it. And it's almost becoming like it's a crutch or an excuse And I understand that there's issues there and there isn't equality and it needs to get better. But you can only highlight the problem so much before people who are being accused of contributing to the problem are going to tell you, what's the solution? Help be part of the solution. Show us, you know, show us what you want the solution to be and what living in equality looks like and all of these other things. Because I think so many times, and this isn't isolated to you know, the male, female, or the minority um, representation in the insurance industry, this is across the board. It doesn't matter. We see this on the news. We see this on in society in general. And the fact is, we spend so much time focusing on the things that we have a limited ability to control. And we want to be the voice for that. When really, if we just get to work every day, and we do things the way we're supposed to do them, And, you know, pay enough attention, but not too much. That's how things are going to end up getting changed. I feel like that when people just focus on the problem and they don't come to the table with solutions. And again, I want to be very clear. This is anything Mm -hmm. in life in general, not just the insurance industry and not just specifically men versus women in the insurance industry. If you don't come to the table with solutions, pretty soon people are going to quit listening to you complain, you know, or quit listening to you voice your concerns because at that point you're just a professional complainer. You're not right. you're not trying to be part of the solution. You're just highlighting a problem with no real offering of an end in sight. You know what I mean? Does that make sense?
2: I I think I totally agree with you. I mean, you said a lot of things that I was thinking when, you know, when she was talking. I I do think also that maybe social media has and just the availability of the internet to everybody has kind of contributed to that because I mean, dude, like People can just sit there on their phones and complain and, and and trash basically anything. And not only are there a lot of times no repercussions, but like you said, nothing nothing changes, but you, you all you can do is control what you can control. And if what you are doing is is gonna help contribute to the solution, I think that's like what what else can you do at that point?
1: Yeah, and I think like having podcasts like Teresa Kitchen's podcast, Power Women in Insurance. That's a great thing to do. like Have it out there. But don't listen to that 24-7, 365. Go look at other other things inside the industry to help make you a more well-rounded and better person. That's a really important podcast, I think, for females. Cassie Arbelli has got a big um, event that's coming up. And we had her on the podcast. And I mean, I think that she's going about it the right way. But here's what I know about a lot of the women that I know that are leading the charge in you know pushing this I don't want to say pushing this agenda cuz that sounds negative but bringing awareness to this situation they do it but that's not all they do they're like running really successful agencies in the process they have you know they're either agency owners or they're in leadership in the in the firms that they're in and that that's what gives them to me that's what really gives them credibility more than just hey let me i've got a podcast with this it's i've got a podcast that focuses on this issue but i have a lot of credibility cuz i run a really successful agency and i'm doing all these things and then teaching people not just women but men as well these are the things that we do in our agency this is why this works i mean i don't feel like i've ever in the course of my career treated a female employee or a female team member any differently. Not I've not thought about them differently, treated them differently. You know, I I did have somebody one time poke the bear a little bit with me when I posted when I posted the picture of um of Daryl, right? When he was in with the fabric swatches, letting you Kyle let you pick mm. your suit out for hidden, hitting, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. hitting the, the, the revenue threshold to get I a, do a remember free that, yeah. custom suit and i had a lady that commented and said well what about what about women producers and my response was if i have one that comes in that wants to come to work and you know we decide that we're a good fit culturally for them they absolutely would get the same opportunity but quite frankly i don't have any female producers right now and it's not for a for me not wanting to have them i've not ever had a female apply for that job or reach out to me I mm-hmm. don't interview like everybody else does. I mean, I've got a lot of... I have a lot of female uh, channel partners that we refer business back and forth, like Carol Ingram, for example, yeah. a standing relationship with Carol. Tried to get her to come on board as a producer and decided she did that, that wasn't what she wanted to do. Okay, fine. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that. She slings payroll for a living and refers a bunch of business to me. So if she wants mm-hmm. to continue to do payroll and, and shoot us business, great. Otherwise, you know... Come on board, let's see what happens, right. but we we don't have that, and so I challenge you know, I challenge the the ladies out there that that want to make those comments like that you know what what are you doing to recruit new female blood into the industry? how are you what are you doing to pave the way? and I think a lot of people are, and so I think that's one of the reasons why I've seen just the uptick in people attending these events, right? I I think that we're finally seeing a time where we have equal representation. So...
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not not at any of the... I'm going to have to take your word on it because I'm not at any of those uh, conferences or anything, but... um,
1: Yeah. I don't know, man. It's just... It's it's an interesting phenomenon. And and I mean... Mm -hmm. I have I have a friend of mine that's African American that's complaining about it, right? Well, you know I I don't, and my response was, "What are you doing to fix the problem?" About All I do is, yeah, com- about equality about... in the in okay. the insurance industry. I said, "What are you doing to be part of the solution to the problem?" Right? Yeah, and you know it's not that I don't think a problem exists. I absolutely do. I mean, if there wasn't, you'd see a lot more African American owned agencies out there. You, uh-huh. they're not there and I don't I don't know if that's as much about discrimination as it is that they're just it's not an industry that's attracted people because the perception of discrimination exists I don't know yeah. right I'm sure at some level it, it exists look I mean you would think of any organization on the face of the earth was not going to have discrimination in my opinion it would be anything professional sports. But look at all the crap they've uncovered with the NFL,
2: right? Yeah, total right, total disaster. There's a lot gonna, of stuff. In-
3: I was going to say that we have to. There's a couple of things. Is like one, well, we have to have healthy people, right? Like I want to advocate for healthy people and and having people get their needs met outside of work. And that looks like therapy. It looks like having friends. It looks like having a community. We have to get healthy outside of work. But also like we have to make space to invite these people in. We have to make space to invite people in. We have to make space to invite African-Americans in. So if we're not getting those applicants, how are we going to them? How are we going to women? How are you advocating for the minorities? I mean, we can't. And I did say earlier, like, it's up to me to do it. It's also up to me and you and you, you know, David and Kyle, for us to make space for these people, too. It can't be one way or another. It's not like, well, you got to. You got to like start bringing solutions to the table. It's the only way. Well, it's not. They need to bring solutions to the table, and we need to create opportunities. It, it can't be just one. It has to. be It both. has to
1: be a collaborative effort. Because quite frankly, I'm a middle aged white man. You know what I mean? I've got. I went to Birmingham Southern. I have a liberal arts college. I lived in the middle of the civil rights district, and I went to school. At a very liberal institution in the evenings where my peer group were middle market managers for large corporations in Birmingham, Alabama, who had tuition reimbursement, so a lot of people who weren't given the opportunity to get a degree right out of high school went back once they were part of the workforce and I actually learned about race and ethnic relations from the people that were marching in the civil rights movement in the middle of the civil rights district so it wasn't just textbook for me I had the stories to corroborate and go go with everything that you would read in a book that would explain you know what things happened history takes a different flavor when you actually witness the people you know the people telling the stories that were part of it and that were in some of those marches and everything else and because i grew up in an, in a, a suburban neighborhood certainly have always had friends of multiple races all of that like never like i just don't even that doesn't register with me but it doesn't mean it doesn't exist so when when right. i hear those things it just it opens your mind to so much more so my thought process is a if you're part of the perceived problem, do what you can to educate yourself on the other party, you know, other parties and, and why they may feel that way. But if you're part of the, the the group that's being affected, I would also say be willing to collaborate, right? You can't just be standing on the mountaintop yelling. And This is an issue that I think is going to be solved. To your point, Ashley, I think it will become closer to being solved as the next generation comes in and starts taking over, because I think a lot of the issues that we deal with, with outdated behavior and processes and procedures in our industry fall on the shoulders of the people that are on their way out of our industry. And they've built great businesses, they've been profitable for them, but at the end of the day, times change. The agency model is changing every single day, just like everything else is. And until we get leadership to be more collaborative in how they're running their businesses, period, and, and throwing it out on the table and saying, hey, look, I'm all ears. Tell me, how, what would you do if you were in my position? Or if I were to give you a voice, if I were to give you a platform, people, if I called you and said, I'd like for you to come on Power Producers and tell me what your solution to the problem would be or how to make things better and give you the opportunity to spout off to 20,000 people and tell them exactly you know, what you think. What would your solution be? Would it be to complain that there's a problem and that's it, or would you have actionable steps that we as an industry can take? And I understand that the Big I has you know subcommittees for race relations and you know um, minorities and everything else. That's fine, but at the end of the day, those people need to be on the main the main uh, groups and councils as well. It it shouldn't be relegated to that. So
3: I like your point. I don't know. We have to bring this. I mean, like here are the twenty steps that as a minority or as a whatever, like this is, these are the things that we need to do to fix it. Cause I don't think everyone's sitting with their fingers in their ears saying, I don't want to do this. It's like, they don't really know how teach us how to do it. And
1: and at the same time, it is such a volatile and hypersensitive topic that I feel like the people who are in leadership currently that are not the affected classes I feel like those people are under a microscope. So any decision they they make could be... (laughs) Right. But to that point, I feel like they also can be... Anything they do is looked at and could be twisted to mean something that it shouldn't be. And that to me is just lack of communication and collaboration. This should be a subject subject that should be able to be tabled just like any, you know, racial discrimination, sexual discrimination, whatever else. To me the first step is a, the affected parties need to be willing to talk openly and honestly about it, and b, the the parties that have the ability to make change and drive change need to be willing to sit down and listen. Period. Just listen. Listen to what they have to say. Don't argue. Don't come back and defend. Just listen. Because at the end of the day, one of the things that makes me more nuts than anything else is nobody can tell me what my perception or opinion is of anything. Mm -hmm. If I say, well, you know, my opinion is, well, no, you're wrong. No, unfortunately, (laughs) friend, it's my opinion. I can have my opinion based on my own life's experience. And you don't necessarily have to agree with it or like it or understand it per se, but you have to respect it. It's mine. That's one of the great things about living in the United States. You know, we have gotten to such a place of politicization and everything else. We You can't even have normal conversations anymore. And I, I just, that's not how I roll. Like if, if I have a question about something sensitive or not, I'm just going to ask the question and I'm prepared to hear the answer and I'll deal with that information. However, it needs to be dealt with at that point. But I just think if we can focus more on collaborating as an industry, again, male, female, minority, Whoever. sexual preference, whatever, you know, I look at it this way, man. We're all human beings. There's one bucket. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And we're the ones who put everybody in with labels and buckets and everything else. We did that. How do you True. undo it?
3: Yeah. Think you undo it right and by loving most- on people is, is, is just yep. being in community with them. Just lo- just love on them. It's pretty easy. Well, right, you know it's it's.
1: <laughs> I I agree with you wholeheartedly. But there are people out there that believe. Well, I'm not even going to get. I could I could go all <laughs> the It sounds guess. like but is yeah. that an excuse? All that to be said.
3: <laughs> Bring a solution. No, it's not an
1: excuse. But I just I feel I, I I feel like I feel like when you when you have the different labels, people feel like they have to check the box. Okay, I hired one. I hired one of these, and I hired one of these. Oh well, we've got our quota met, right? Like that's the whole thing. It like should be that way,
2: like you were talking. Correct.
1: About. It should be who's the best candidate, exactly.
3: Period. Okay. Well, yes, you're, I but, hear what so, you're saying. I was meant like I, I'm. The solution is just like love on people. It doesn't mean hire everyone. It Doesn't mean no, friends with everyone. Just like no love
1: them. Listen, I cut a bunch of people from the I cut a, cut a bunch of people from Protégé this morning. I had to do videos letting them know that they're booted, you know? Was that easy? Absolutely not. But not one single person could argue that I wasn't fair in the process and that I didn't do everything I could to try and help them succeed and in fact for the people that I let go, I gave them from now till the end of the year every other week thirty minutes one-on-one coaching so that they can continue with the mouse traps they've built to this point. So if anybody has a problem with that, that's on them yeah. at that point. You know, I'm doing everything I can to try and help. Yeah, I don't so, think I don't.
3: I, don't know and I just for look sure, at it?
1: And, and I didn't look at it as I didn't look at it as am I cutting a male? Am I cutting a female? Am I cutting a minority? You can't do that. I looked at who got their stuff in on time, whose work product was the best, and whose work product was the most entertaining across the board. That's it. Those were the three things I looked at, period.
3: I don't think I've ever heard, and I don't mean to like toot your horn, but I don't think I've ever heard of anybody saying David Carruthers was unfair (laughs) or like didn't love other people.
1: No, no chance. And if they did, they don't know me. Period. I mean, there's there's a lot of people that throw rocks and throw shade, but that, those are people don't know that just me, sit bro. on the outside.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I don't love everyone. Get you don't me. know me. <laughs> yeah,
1: seriously. Well, listen, I want to be respectful of your time. We've been going about an hour. I really appreciate you coming on. This has been a good discussion, if nothing else. And if you're out there and it's making you feel a little bit uncomfortable, good, that was the intent. Maybe, maybe you need to uh, check yourself a little bit. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Throw it out there. Little Love it. Little ice cube for everybody. Anyhow, I hope everybody has a great week. Ashley, thank you so much for being our guest. We appreciate it. Thanks for having and me. And we will catch everybody next time. See ya.
0: You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes and our website, killingcommercial.com.